So we all have our uh, favorite go-to dishes, and our go-to dishes are dishes that you crave when you're dieting or when you're hungry. And it's also a dish that you find yourself randomly thinking about at odd times, like even here this morning while you're listening to this message. And for me, there's this one go-to dish that I always order at Korean restaurants. I can't escape it. I always order it. And it's this dish called yukejang. Candidly, it's a dish that I silently judge the restaurant by for how authentic they really are because it's uh, you can't because if you can't get yukejang right, I'll question how well you cook the other Korean dishes that I'll likely order. But it's this hot pot bowl, and it's made up this made up of this uh, spicy beef broth with shredded beef brisket egg, thin vermicelli noodles, green onions, fiddlehead ferns, bean sprouts, shiitake mushrooms, and radishes. And the broth for me is really what sets this dish off. It's rich and savory, and yukejang is full of flavors that mix so well together. And it hits all five taste profiles for me. And this broth is full of richness and full of flavor. And the broth is slightly uh, salty from um, the soy sauce that's added to the broth. It's slightly sweet from all the vegetables that are being cooked in it. And it's slightly sour from the splash of rice wine vinegar that they add. Slightly bitter from the miso pastes. And then this overwhelmingly savory flavor known, as you guys might know, as umami is achieved from the onslaught of umami ingredients inside the dish. And so inside this dish, the umami flavors are achieved by the miso paste, the shiitake mushrooms, the uh, soy sauce, and the sesame seed oil. And I'm getting hungry now just describing this dish to you, so I feel like I should just pray, and then we should all just go have lunch together. Uh, lunch, will be, lunch will be on Joel Reed back there. He'll take care of it for you. So the first time that I actually ate this dish, though, I lost my mom in a store when I was eight years old. My mom and I were at this store, and she was shopping through the clothing racks, and she was just kind of going from this rack to this rack, and the next thing I know, I turn around, and, and she's gone. And she found me, of course, a minute later after you know I had stopped crying, and she, right after she checks out, she brings me for, out for lunch, and she brings me to this awesome Korean spot, and she orders this dish. And so every time that I eat this dish now, I think of the time that I lost my mom and she found me. And so, but I want to let you know and, and think about this with me for a second. Taste, it's a miraculous sense. Because just by one taste, we'll know if we enjoy our food or not. With one taste, we can remember exactly where we were the first time that we tried it. And we can also sense the temperature immediately with one taste. If we were blindfolded, we'd be able to detect if a food we were about to eat was good or bad for us, like basically tasting a raw vegetable compared to a piece of cake. Just by one taste, we would know which food is better for you, right? The cake, because it's delicious. We don't want none of that raw vegetable nonsense, but it's an instantaneous sense that God has given us to be used not only for our taste and for our nourishment, but also for our joy. We enjoy tasting things that are good. And maybe you're not as passionate about food or taste or flavors as I am, but I'm willing to guess this morning that there's some tastes in your life that bring you 
great joy. And that bring you back to a significant moment in your life where you could stop and say, just for a moment, that there, that was good. And so this morning, we're going to look at a text that helps us focus on drawing the attention of others to our good God. And David pens this psalm, Psalm 34, and he's in a cave where he's hiding out, and he writes this psalm to God. And Psalm 34 was intended to be sung in a corporate setting, such as what we're sitting in this morning. But there's also 400 men in this psalm who are desperate and who came to David's side to fight with him. So let's read this verse starting in verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all that they need. And even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. So in 1 Samuel 21, David is running from Saul, who is intending to kill him. David's life is in jeopardy. And Jonathan, who you might know as the son of Saul, he also happens to be David's best friend. And Jonathan warns David, like, listen, my dad is about to kill you. Sorry about that, but maybe you should run. Maybe you should hide. And so what does David do? He takes off. He flees. But the question remains is why is Saul after David? Why does Saul want to kill him? It's because Saul believes that the only way for him to remain on the throne is to end David's life. And so what's happening is that David at this point in his life is on the rise as a military leader. And so Saul was desperate to remain on the throne. But here we'll see that God clearly has other plans. And so David enters this city called Gath. It's a Philistine city, and he's immediately identified by the king's servants as David, the military ruler who has killed tens of thousands of people. And so the Bible says here that he took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And then David makes a desperate move. He's thinking like, how am I now going to get out of this situation? What am I going to do? And so David makes a plan to spare his life. And the Bible says here that David faked insanity in front of the king of Gath. And in verse 13 of Psalm, or excuse me, in verse uh, 13 of 1 Samuel chapter uh, 21, it says, so he pretended to be insane scratching on the doors and drooling down his beard. And for those of you who haven't eaten with me, this is a perfect description that illustrates how I look when I'm waiting for my yuke zhang. I just drool and I start scratching the doorposts. But, you know, if you think about this, this story, it sounds completely crazy. And it is, but you know what? For David, it worked. This plan that he conceived this plan that he thought of it completely worked and now he's able to flee the presence of king Achish with his life intact and so fresh out of this miraculous escape we find David hiding in a cave and he writes this psalm psalm 34 
And David not only wrote this psalm with the overflow of his gratitude, thanking God for how he spared his life, but he's also writing it to teach these 400 desperate men who are loyal to David and who will fight with him and who will die with him if that's needed. And he wrote this psalm for them and also to God using um, something easy to memorize. And he actually writes it with, uh, out of an acrostic. Are you guys familiar with that? And so basically he uses the Hebrew alphabet lines it up and writes each little line according to the Hebrew alphabet. And so the title of this psalm is Taste and See That the Lord is Good. And this morning we're going to see how Psalm 34, how it informs our hearts uh, of the uh, goodness of God and how it propels us forward by the grace of God. And so there are three good characteristics of God, or if you will, tastes that we're going to see in this text. And I believe David, completely inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses this language and uses this word taste because it's a sense that we all have, right? It's a sense that we can all relate to. So the first taste this morning is the goodness of his protection. I remember driving with my mom when I was a kid in the front seat, and even though I had my seatbelt on, my mom, when she would come to a quick stop, she would put her arm out in front of me, like, even though I have my seatbelt on already, she still would kind of armbar me if she had to come quickly to a halt. And I would be thinking to myself, like, mom, I appreciate, so I see some of you laughing because you know that totally happened to you or you totally do it. But my mom would do that and I would be thinking in my mind, I appreciate your love and care for me, but I don't think your arm is going to be very effective if we rear end someone. I don't think it's going to hold me in place. But just like that, God's nature is to protect, just like my mom wanted to protect my life. Because God is protection. And the Old Testament talks about how God is a shield around us, and that we shouldn't fear because he protects us. But this isn't to say that we shouldn't use our common sense. Like maybe this means that we still need to wear our seatbelts, And maybe it's not the smartest thing to drive in the path of a tornado, but God has given us a free will. He's given us the freedom of choice. We can use our own mind. But the fact is, is that there is security and that there's protection and rest for our souls in him when we belong to him. And I want you to lean in, church, when I say this, because I want you to know that there is no better protection for us than to position ourselves in the arms of our creator. Amen? There is no better protection for us than to position ourselves in the arms of our Creator. David knew of God's protection firsthand, and he wrote this after almost losing his life. And he wrote it to give God praise and to share the nature of God with other people. These next three verses, they speak to God's protection over us. And the first one is Psalm 34, verse 17. It says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. You see, God is a rescuer, and he does, in fact, rescue his people from trouble. And David was clearly in trouble with King, when King Achish could have sentenced him to death, but instead he was able to flee scot-free from Achish's presence, and he was able to seek refuge Now, I want to ask you this morning, church, what troubles are you needing rescue from today? 
Are you resting in the fact that God is indeed your protector? For me, there's, uh, there's this sense that I have as a man to protect the people that I love around me. And I'm sure you men can agree that the first thing you do when there's a threat, you look around to make sure that everybody's safe around you because God has wired us this way. And for you fathers and mothers, you can probably relate to this, that when there's danger around you, your children are the first thing you do, are, your children are the first people that you think about. You want to protect them by holding them or shielding them or moving them out of harm's way or even, if you need to, take out the threat. And our reaction in those critical moments, they're not, a, they're not a secondary response to us. They're immediate. They're a primary response because God has wired us this way. We care for the people we love, and God is the same way. And in verse 19, it says here that the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. And what this means is that God doesn't just rescue us once and then he's done with us. It's not like we have a get out of jail free card and once we use it, we burn it up and we can't use it again. But the fact remains that God is constant He's a constant rescuer. He's a constant protector. He doesn't lose strength and he doesn't weaken. And we're his possession and he loves and cares for each of us so, so much. He'll come to our rescue and he's our hiding place and we can find security and protection in him. In verse 20, it says, For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous and not one of them is broken. Now, this... This, hear me out. This promise isn't a literal promise. This doesn't mean that you'll never have any bones broken, and this is clearly not a threat to your life or your bones. But I want to let you know that I've had some friends that who are entirely in love with Jesus and who follow him, and they've had some bones broken. But this verse is just another simple reminder of how God protects us and how he helps us. And it's also a prophecy about how Jesus will not have one bone broken in his body after all the flogging that he endures. David knew where his help came from. He did. And he isn't trying to take credit for how his life was spared. It was God and God alone who protected him. And if he was going to boast in anybody, he was going to clearly boast in the Lord at this moment in his life. He wanted to make sure God got all the credit for what happened. It was a miraculous escape. It's easy for us to walk through life and to not pay much attention to how we've been protected throughout the years. And I want you to think on this and kind of reflect on it through your years. Think about the countless close calls that you've probably had on the road, especially here in CNY with all the snow. Think about all the accidents or all the crashes that probably could have happened, but God has spared you. Think about all the times that maybe your children have been sick and he's healed them. Think about even your life when you've been sick, when God has healed you. And think about this too, not even our physical bodies. Think about things like maybe your employment, how God has protected you. Maybe you've faced a lot of layoffs at your place of work and you've escaped from that. Or maybe you've in fact lost your job, but God has lined one up quickly for you. You've been protected And so I want to ask you this morning, who are you crediting the protection of your life to? Where else are you looking to for protection and security in your life? You know, we find false protection and security in many things in our lives. Think about this. Some examples of false security that you can look for, like the need for constant human approval. 
Do you use that as protection? Do you use that to insulate your life? Or about, what about this? Striving for and maintaining the highest reputation that you can in your life. Or maybe you're power hungry. Maybe you search for power over others. Or even the quest to always find that one little financial advantage in any financial situation in your life. Do you know where your protection comes from? Have you tasted and seen of the goodness of God's protection? The second taste this morning is the goodness of his proximity. The goodness of his proximity. So the first one is the goodness of his protection. And the second one this morning is the goodness of his proximity. Distance and nearness are terms that we're all familiar with. When you draw near to someone, you're close to them. And you know them in a deep level, and they know you on a deep level. And I can be close with my wife, even if I'm 500 miles from her, because I have an intimacy with my wife. And even if I'm uh, distant from her in proximity, we still have an intimacy with each other, so we're still close. We know each other's hearts. We know how each other are wired. We know each other's emotions and feelings. And so even though we may feel distant from each other due to proximity, we can still feel close together due to our intimacy. And the experience of God's proximity to us, it's not an actual description of his nearness to us, but what it actually is, it's our experience of intimacy with him. Scripture shows us that God is intimate with those who trust him. And the more we believe and trust God, the more intimately we will come to know him. And when we feel distant from God, it's usually tied to some sort of heart issue with us, with God, such as trusting in other things more than trusting in him. And relationships are built on trust. I want you to think about this. If I were to begin a new relationship with someone or a new friendship with a guy, and he confides in me with something, he's trusting me with that information. And trust that I also won't blab it and tell other people about a situation that he's facing. But if I start telling other people about his issues, that bond and that trust that was maybe once there will be broken and it probably won't last long. And so we put our trust in things every day, even things that maybe aren't even human, but we trust them. Think about this for a second. Maybe you flip on your AC unit because you're trying to get um, comfort in the summer heat. And so you're trusting in that AC unit to cool you off. When you drive in your car, you're entrusting your life and safety to engineers, people, and machines that have designed and built the car which you're driving We put our trust in things every day. And those are simple examples, but we trust in things and people often. The more we trust someone, the closer that we get to them. And trust is at the heart of intimacy. When David was standing in front of King Achish, he was facing possible execution. And he didn't put his hope and trust in himself saying, all right, David, let's think of a plan Let's execute it, and let's just do it all on our own. No, he thought quickly and then put his trust in the Lord that God would get him out of this situation and that God would get him out of the presence of King Achish, and he did, and he put his trust in the Lord. And David was close in proximity to the nearness of God because of his trust and of his great faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, It's impossible to please God without faith. 
Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God is impressed with our faith. He isn't impressed with how we look or what we've accomplished or what we've built with our hands. He isn't impressed with any of that. God is impressed with our faith in him. God is near to the humble and the meek and the brokenhearted, as it says here in Psalm 34. Now, this begs the question, why would God draw near and be near to the brokenhearted? And it's because this one word, suffering. When you're brokenhearted, you're suffering, you're hurt, you're in pain. There's great distress to you and in your soul and in your heart. And God God draws near to those who are suffering because it brings us into communion with the suffering Savior. It also shows um, and gives us comfort that is only found in difficult times. We go through seasons of life and we go through seasons of difficulty. And God allows us to experience those seasons, those seasons of heartbreak and Uh, They're sorrow-filled, they're grief-stricken, and you might be lonely. But these moments, God allows because they shape us. They absolutely shape us. They shape our character, and they uh, shape our faith and strengthen us. And so how does faith look in those brokenhearted times? What does faith look like in those seasons of grief and in mourning? Sometimes people tend to think as, of faith as just these bold moves, these mountain-moving moves. But in those seasons of dark times, sometimes faith is just moving forward, just getting along and going forward. Pastor John Piper sums up the goodness of the proximity of God this way. And he says, quote, When God sees someone whose heart fully trusts his promises, and lives by them, God then comes to strongly support that saint and manifests himself to him. And so in other words, God draws near to those who fully trust in his promises and and they live out their lives believing in those promises. So my question for you is, church, have you tasted and seen of the goodness of God's proximity to you? Have you seen and have you known that God is near you? The third and final taste is the goodness of his provision. And something we take pride in, especially us men again, is providing for our families and our loved ones. According to a Pew Research study, roughly seven in 10 adults say it's very important for a man to be able to support a family financially to be a good husband or partner. And by comparison, 32 say it's important for a woman to do the same, to be a good wife or partner. But even without this data, we know that providing for our families is a priority. We understand the importance of it. And provision costs us something. For example, when I was attending Bible college and the time came for me to propose to Vicki, I knew that I needed to save up money. And I didn't have much. I was a college student. But I was working as an on-campus security officer, and I picked up these extra overnight shifts. And even though it cost me sleep and sometimes cost me maybe you know a lower test grade or something in my classes because I was so exhausted, I ended up saving enough money to buy Vicky what she deserved, diamonds. And she deserved them. 
And so we work hard so that our families and our children and our loved ones or even our pets lack no good thing. And God, our Father, wants to do the same for his children. He has provided and will continue to provide for us. And so in verse 10 of Psalm 34, David writes this. He says, Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. At this time, Asiatic lions, which is crazy to think about, they were very prevalent around Jerusalem. They existed. They were roaming. And they were quite possibly, the reason why David wrote this, they were quite possibly around the cave where David was in, the cave of Adullam. And so he probably heard their prowls, probably heard some growls and um, those roaring sounds. But scholars believe that the reason why he wrote this is the term young lions here is a metaphor for those who are strong, oppressive, and evil. And in verse 10, David is making a comparison of those who use their own strength. He's trying to make a comparison here, comparing two things. And he's trying to compare those who provide their own needs and then for those who trust in the Lord for their own provision. And David knows that you'll lack nothing church, you will lack nothing if you put your hope, faith, and trust in Jesus the Lord. And so this begs the question, what can God provide us? I'm glad you asked. Because the simple answer is that God can literally provide you anything, right? Isn't that great news this morning? So let's all pray for a car. God, we pray for a car. Boom, there it is. No. The thing is, is the truth is, is as we continue to trust and believe in Jesus, our needs and wants change as our dependence upon the Lord increases. Those who completely trust in the Lord no longer trust in the things of this world because what God provides is enough. Do you hear that, church? What God provides is enough. It's enough. In the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, there's this great line that says, um, you guys will probably know it, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Such a good line. When you fall in love with Jesus and you trust him to provide for you, the things of this world will look less appealing to you. And for those of you who love the Lord, you probably know that for yourself. We want less of what this world can offer, and we want more of who? Jesus. Amen. And the challenge is for us to see his provision and care, even when it's different from what you want, right? Even, from what it's, even when it's different from what we expect. Because God is God, and his ways are higher than our ways. What are you needing provision for? In James chapter 1, verse 17, it reminds us that Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Because every truly good thing in our lives comes straight from the Father. And guess what, church? It's a gift. Every good thing in your life is a gift. And when you think about that and you step back for a moment and say, every good thing is from the Father. Everything that I have in my life is good. And it's from God and it's a gift that changes your heart. It changes your heart. It makes you aware of the goodness of God. And every time you think about that one thing that your heart just explodes with thankfulness, it does something to you. It molds your heart. It makes you thankful for what he gives you because every good thing in your life 
is a gift. When David penned Psalm 34, we have to keep in mind that he wrote it in consideration of others. And not only did he lead 400 men in battle, but he also led them spiritually. He demonstrated for them how to praise and serve the one true God. And David is known, as you might know, that he's a man after whom God's own heart. That's right. He loves to praise the Lord. And one characteristic of someone who genuinely praises the Lord is that they want others to join in them with giving God praise. It's awesome. God provided for David and he experienced it and he trusted God with his life and God was faithful to him and David was faithful to God and he wanted everyone around him to know that his heavenly father, because he provided for him. My question to you, church, and think about this. Do you know of the goodness of God's provision in your life? Do you know how God has provided every good gift to you because he loves you, because he's a good God? He's a good God. He's an awesome God. So how can we know and experience the goodness of these three tastes that we talked about here this morning? How can we experience God's protection and his proximity and his provision? And my answer for you is, it's in his son Jesus. Where we can know and taste and experience his goodness. Because Jesus came to rescue us from sin came to rescue us from death, and he's our only protector. He protects us from a life that is separate from God. He became our protector. And he became our protector by surrendering his protection when he was flogged, beaten, and crucified so that you and I don't have to taste death. And Jesus willingly left the nearness of God in heaven to come to be close with us and God became a man and walked on this earth and now we can know and experience the closeness and that proximity of God in our hearts and lives because of what Jesus did on our behalf and God satisfied our deepest desire by providing Jesus for us because on the cross said Jesus on the cross Jesus said I thirst so we can drink and eat because you know what he's living water and he's the what the bread of life He quenches our deepest desire as Savior, and He alone satisfies, and nothing else can compare to the beauty of Christ. And that's good news. It's real good news for you and I. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? As we come to a close this morning, I want to remind you as you walk with Jesus to train your eyes, to train the eyes of your heart, to look for the many ways that you and I experience the goodness of God. Train your eyes. Because in every high and every low of our life, the fact remains, God is good. It's real good. Preach to yourself that God is good and start with yourself and then help those around you to taste and see. Because if you've tasted and seen that God is good and you've experienced the goodness of God in your own life, you know what you should do? You should run and tell others of the goodness of God. That's what it should do for you. It should propel you forward to share in your experience. 
Church, I shared with you my experience about this wonderful dish called UK Jean. And Jared, if you haven't shown that picture, show them how delicious this looks. Because if your mouth doesn't water when you see this, I don't know, man, I want some right now. Let's go out to Korean food after we dismiss here. Lunch is on Joel, if, I, if you forgot. But maybe your life has been filled with nothing but hurt. Maybe nothing but pain. Maybe nothing but loneliness. And you're thinking to yourself, how is this God that Jason's talking about good? I've experienced nothing but grief and, and hurt and pain in my heart. How is it that he's good? I'll tell you how he's good. Because he can rescue that, rescue you out of that life. He can provide comfort for your heart. He wants to rescue you. And if that's you this morning, we want to pray with you. And if you want to know the goodness of God, you're going to experience that this morning. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you'd like to pray the prayer of salvation, just slip your hand up right now. This is, this is your time to experience the goodness of God. If you don't know how good Jesus is, trust him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.